Welcome to 007, our James Bond episode. Happy Thanksgiving, Frank. Happy Thanksgiving, Hans. Well, send us your turkey tweets at Sandune Podcast and cranberry emails, talk at sandune.org. So, Hans, uh, what's in the box? Ah, well, today we're going to speak about just one thing, but it really does cover all three things that we typically talk about, IT security, individual privacy, and baselining transparency. And we promise you that you will want to forward this episode to your friends. But now, not to your enemies. Perhaps. On episode six, we discussed the relationship company leadership has with its investors, and that got us thinking and about the relationship between employees and corporations. Yeah, as we're considering our concept of transparency, we think it's going to have to substantially change the culture and that relationship a company has with its employees. But in our company, aren't we family, Frank? Yeah. <laughs> um, family's kind of a euphemism for, you're my cousin, so I'm going to make you work 100 hours and pay you for 20. It's an interesting question as to you know, how companies feel about you as an employee, at least what we're talking about is companies in the United States and mostly, you know, private or public companies comes down to most of the U S is what's called at will employment, which means if you read the fine print in your agreement, at will means an employer can fire you at any time for any reason, not have to explain it. And you're out of a job. Now, obviously anybody can sue anyone for anything. So in practicality, most companies that want to let people go try to find a reason or try to find uh, an excuse or have some kind of layoff event so they don't get sued by everyone. And severance is their tool. They'll give you some extra money in exchange for a legal agreement that says you won't sue them. But the interesting thing is that they're watching you. And I don't mean this in a conspiracy theory sense, right? as an extension of risk management and risk control, certainly large enterprise companies and a lot of smaller companies now are actively surveilling their employees and can build these cases for letting you go at any point, having some proof. And this is really what we're talking about today, about companies, surveillance, and Frank, you saw this up close and personal at an enterprise firm, did you not? Yeah, many years ago, I worked for a global financial institution. And this is about 10 years ago when data loss prevention, or sometimes they called it data leakage protection back then, became a big thing, which was let's install a lot of software and controls to watch what people are doing with data. And it was fairly expensive. And it did need a fair amount of engineering. I was heading that team. And I don't have any problems talking about it right now because we're talking about technology that was you know, cutting edge 10 years ago. The important thing about it though is while it was only available to very large companies back then in the intervening 10 years, it's become not only much more powerful and much more pervasive, but much smaller companies can buy it as a service. So that means your 50 person firm can just go pay a monthly membership and have all of the same, you know, incredible features that a hundred thousand person firm has. So 
digital loss prevention or data loss prevention? What exactly does it do? What, how do I picture what is going on when, when companies are running software? So there's an, an agent installed on your machine that is watching everything that you do through file filters or through a shim into the, um, the very heart of the operating system. And it's able to say, see things that um, you don't ordinarily think of. It can see what websites you're going to. It can see what you're typing in. It can see what applications you're running. It can see all of these things. And it sees them at, as I said, a session level. So a lot of people seem to think, okay, well, I'm using, you know, I'm going to a secure website, so it's all encrypted from end to end. Well, not inside your session because you're seeing it. And if it's working inside your session, so is the, the DLP agent, which means so is your employer potentially. And one more thing is that later on, we would install um, telemetry, just plain old troubleshooting things that would collect mounds of data, including all the websites you visited, all the query strings you used, all those types of things. So your employer, whether intentionally or even unintentionally, builds these gigantic databases of everything you've done on their machines. So if you think it, you can get away with doing something small, you can't. It's been logged and it's already been done. And for a lot of reasons, some things that you do, and especially all emails that you send, are retained whether you delete them or not. They're written to a backup somewhere in case there's some sort of legal case to be. Uh, it sounds like we shouldn't be checking our personal emails on our company laptops. No, we shouldn't. And I think a lot of people feel like they're safe in doing that and doing some other things too. Uh, they feel safe doing personal banking things. They feel safe surfing some sites maybe that they don't think that they should be surfing. And while a lot of companies have pushed down policies to their machines, it's still possible to break your employment contract, you know, to break the rules and not be warned that you are. In the at-will employment also comes with a requirement that you're staying you know, up to date with what all the rules and regulations are. So maybe I might be sidetracking us a little bit here, but as the person in a company who is responsible for data loss prevention or effectively monitoring employees, doesn't this feel awful? I think it's rationalized in very large companies as a risk management exercise. Because if you look at it for 100,000 people, it suddenly becomes kind of a numbers game for them, which is, I have a certain number of people who are doing nefarious things or things that maybe even they don't understand are harmful to the firm. I mean, there are a lot of people who do things that they think are innocent, like they copy data to a USB stick to bring home to work on. That's innocent, but it's a security lapse. And then there's people who are just hardcore stealing stuff. They're sending, you know, customer lists to other people and, you know, they're, they're sharing passwords and they're doing all kinds of stupid things on there. The line gets drawn between employees knowing that they're being surveilled like this and employees not being aware of how much surveillance that they're under. I see. So let's go back 
to the part about the companies are monitoring this from a point of view of a session. And you also mentioned something about telemetry. Can you clarify? Yeah, I mean, the agents installed on your session aren't just there to watch specifically for data loss. The data loss ones look for patterns. It looks for usernames, it looks for emails or things that look like account numbers or whatever they've configured it for. Telemetry agents got very popular because a lot of people write apps and they want shims inside the session to see how reactive they are. And obviously they need to be aware of what URLs you're looking at and what data you're sending. But as a side effect of this, all of everything you're doing is being logged to a database in clear text for everyone to see. So serendipitously, they have a lot of this information as well. And I think it's just important for people to understand that this is the case. So they're not surprised later on if there are, you know, somebody comes back to them and says, well, you were using the machine. You weren't supposed to be using the machine. I think that's that's the crux of this matter. I, I'm not sure the actual data collection is a problem as much as it's not telling people what they're being watched for. But isn't this in most standard corporate agreements? Well, that's the interesting thing is that, you know, you agree not to use this stuff for personal use. You agree not to do a whole bunch of things in the employee manual, but no one ever reads all 400 pages of the manual. You know, the interesting thing about the manual is it's just something that somebody wrote. Um, I ran a company where I came in and the employee manual was obviously lifted out of, uh, I don't know, some 1990s clothing store that you find at the mall, right? It was basically a retail employee agreement all kinds of things that made no difference to an IT operation, like wearing jeans or having tattoos and stuff like that, were all like the worst things you could do. A company has the ability and the right and the duty to set policies and rules that make sense for the company, but also to attract employees makes sense for the employees. But in all cases, I think it should be made very transparent. And if it's there in the employee handbook saying that, you know, we have a variety of surveillance on our systems. I think some people tend to gloss over this, though, and kind of ignore it and seem to think that they can skate on things. The truth is that while in companies, sometimes the machines are rigged to not let you do most of the things you're not allowed to do, there's plenty of things that will get you in trouble that you are allowed to do. So obviously with COVID and a lot of people working from home now, things have kind of morphed a little bit, although I think most people connect to their corporate networks via corporate VPNs. So let's say I do have a personal laptop that I have next to me that's on my network. And then I've got my work laptop that's connected via my VPN. Okay, that's those are two physically separate things and the company's not gonna go monitor that. But as far as you know, bringing your own personal devices into your workplace, assuming that's gonna be a thing again, is this all just happening at the part of the computer that you're sitting at that your company has issued you, or is it happening in other places as well? For a lot of mobile devices, um, like phones and tablets, companies provide a kind of a sandboxed uh, environment so that you can go into one app and inside there is your email and contacts and everything for the company so that if they let you go, they can just push a kill switch and all that stuff goes away without affecting you know, your phone personally. They might push down a policy with the application that you know, makes you put in a more complex password or something. But that's kind of how you end up with this 
hybrid bring your own device kind of world where you have a little box in which you do company stuff and then the rest of the session is kind of left alone but it also has kind of been the wild west with covid and with work from home because um some people had to use personal devices and that opened up a big problem for a lot of companies that weren't actively managing these types of things and i think in the I'd like to say post-COVID, but we're still in the middle of it. I would have to say the, the post-work from home period, when everyone's going back, companies are going to be investing more heavily in these kinds of technologies. If they're going to maintain a home-based workforce and also try to reap the cost benefits of having people bring their own device, they're going to have to have more of this stuff. What I would like to see is that they're disclosing it as fast as they're rolling it out. Now... Whether or not you have monitoring agents on the computer or not, there's also other places where looking at the technology aspect of it, where companies are doing monitoring. And I think you mentioned that there's other places along a perimeter of a network that, that happens as well. Yeah, you can watch network traffic at the perimeter. You can watch things, especially in a corporation. You have applications that you have hosted. You could be watching the other side of those. A lot of a lot of companies are providing VDIs as workspaces. So you're basically just have a, a gateway client on your home device so that again, it's like a sandbox. And then your session's running on a server somewhere in somebody's data center and just is spun up and spun down as needed. So then basically you need to be aware that whether or not you're using a corporate laptop, desktop, corporate issued phone, perhaps interacting with the mail server or mail service that the company has, regardless of whether or not you're working for a 10,000 employee company or a 500 person company, there are going to be these tools that'll be used in order to do DLP. Yeah, there are various risk management tools. And to tell a little bit of a story about when we rolled it out, uh, we got it engineered so it would run on the corporate images that were around at the time on all 120,000 endpoints or whatever it was. And we were about to turn on the management console and the risk management guy said, no, you can't do that. And of course, we're scratching our heads going, well, we just spent months engineering this and deploying it. It's all out there and it's ready to go. And they said, well, we just don't have the policies ready yet. So if we find somebody doing something bad, we're going to have to use the current policy. And the current policy basically says we have to fire anyone we find doing certain things. So what they needed to do was actually go in and build new policies for all the things they think they'd find. So the initial policy was uh, to warn. Uh, but they felt very strongly that anything that they saw, they were ethically bound to do something about. So they had to build a new policy, not a technical code here, we're talking about a process that they would take if somebody did something that they didn't, uh, that they monitored and they could actually see. Does that typically happen where you kind of get that sort of leap in technology coming along and saying, hey, here's some things you got to do that results in more policies having to be written? Yeah, absolutely. And, and hopefully people are writing them. Right. See, that was the ethical thing to do was to say, oh, you know, we're, if we're aware of it, we have to do something. We don't want to overreact. Um, my fear is that 
companies that don't have quite so many resources will turn it on, have this flood of data and kind of indiscriminately react to it. And that's why I'm, I fear for people who aren't careful about what they're doing on corporate devices, because if they're working for a mid-sized company that hasn't set, you know, a hard and fast policy yet, people see if happens to be the bad thing that you did that they see on the log, you might get in a lot of trouble going back to the point that I think it should be very transparent what the policy is. And obviously many technologies cause us to reevaluate policy. Uh, but with working from home and the shifts that are happening, this is only going to become more prevalent and potentially a pitfall for people who are used to kind of mixing business and pleasure on the same machines. Yeah, that's really interesting because particularly with working from home, if you have an office into which you go, you may get the impression, hey, when I'm in that office, I'm at work and I'm only going to do certain things. But at the same time, I think when you're at home, you have that feeling of this is my home. What I do here is my business. And of course, if you're now using a company machine to do things that are not specifically related to the work that you're doing, uh, you're going to have you're going to have a very missed expectation of what's going on. So let's pivot this conversation a little bit. I think we've bashed into people's heads enough. Don't use your corporate laptop computer for personal things. Um, and let's look at, well, what else are employers looking for? And particularly, I know that right now with the job market, the way it is, there is you know, for certain types of jobs, there's a lot of demand and companies are thinking, are actually having a hard time in certain areas finding people, but companies are still doing uh, investigations on people before they hire them. Uh, everything from criminal background checks uh, to other things. What are they doing in the IT space? Well, obviously they're looking at everything they can find about you online. It's interesting very large companies will avoid certain kinds of media because they feel like they might get sued if somebody feels like some wrongful information was surfaced and caused them not to get hired, right? But once you're hired, it, they don't stop looking at your stuff. There are many services out there to continue to watch the things that you publish and watch the things that you do. And you have to be very careful about what the social media policy is for your company. When I was working for that global financial firm, it was a very conservative place. At the very beginning, you weren't even allowed to identify the company, your LinkedIn profile. They said, you are not allowed to, and this was actually written in the employee handbook, you were not allowed to reveal your association with us online in public. So actually, I created a company that still exists on Facebook called A Global Financial Firm with a super generic logo that me and all my friends could put down as we us working there. And at one point, I had a bunch of people in there who were from actually other financial places as well, uh, because the rule was the same in many places and in the industry. And then, of course, it kind of started to loosen up when social media became a legitimate avenue to garner and market business in yeah, I think companies are even encouraging their employees to share company branding and building 
tools that send you suggested articles to post on your social media to help drive up business in the company? The question is, how far should those requests go? Should they be allowed to tell you what to tweet? If you don't want to, what, what happens? Do you just not do it? Is your Facebook different from your LinkedIn? Should your employer have more control over what you put in your LinkedIn? So I'm picturing the scene from Office Space where the amount of bling that is on your jacket is represented in how many times you've reposted your CEO's blog because <laughs> that's the company policy. You need to send at least 12 tweets per month about how great your company is. Do you want to be a team player or not? Yeah, it's one of those things <laughs> that I think for a lot of people is just an uncomfortable reality. It's like, well, you could tweet about us or you could not tweet about us. You know, so, Obviously, you can get so, in an awful lot of trouble with things you tweet too, but everyone knows that. Yeah. So then let's, let's wrap this up. How about your top three suggestions? Well, top three, obviously, easily, everything that I should, you're doing. I, you know, I, re I really should have said top seven, <laughs> but we only have time for three right now. Okay. We'll cut it down to three. Yeah, you're right. It should have been seven. Or I could just do the last five, six, seven. So number five is just easy, assume anything that you're working on that belongs to the company is monitored and logged and written somewhere, right? So, and, and people kind of know this, but it's even, you know, little things. And another reason why you want to do this is, and I've seen this happen as well, if the company gets hacked or ransomed or something like that, and, you know, your logins, your personal stuff is saved in there, it goes to the, the hackers, so now they've gotten your stuff because you've put your data in a bigger target. And I know this has happened. I've seen it happen. It was a competitor of a firm I was at, got hacked, thought they had gotten the hackers out. They were talking to the media. The CEO asked the journalist, can we have another interview? Because we beat these guys and I want to you know, get it on the record that it's, everything's good now and I'll tell you how we did it. Five minutes before the interview, the hacker calls a journalist and says, it's very funny you guys should be discussing this because I can still see all his stuff. I'm still in all the systems. And I'm in all the systems not because of the company credentials I stole, but because of all of the employees' personal credentials I stole. So I saw the meeting with you, the journalist, pop up on the calendar. And here's a whole bunch of questions you should ask the CEO. Bye-bye. So the journalist dutifully interviews the CEO and about two-thirds of the way through the interview brings up the fact that, hey, by the way, the hacker called me and said they're still dancing through your systems. Do you have a comment on that? That's the CEO wild. Was, yeah, the CEO was dead quiet for a second then said, uh, yeah, I got to go. So that's Amazing. why, and the reason why you don't want to cast your stuff in with your, your employer is because if your employer is going to be a bigger target than you, and you don't want your, your stuff compromised that way. Yeah. Um, so what's your number six? Number six, don't assume the, comp the company machine is going to stop you from doing something stupid. Obviously, it might stop you from copying stuff onto a USB device, but it's not going to necessarily stop you from trying to send something you know, innocent like a contact list to yourself or more nefarious, right? A lot of people think the system will nanny them, and if it lets them do it, then they've gotten away with it. 
And the fact is, no, it's all been logged. And larger companies will eventually get around to disciplining everyone right in line, right? They'll just go straight through the list and start contacting line managers. But smaller companies may not. They may just go memo to file. All right. And how about the last one, number seven? The seven would be, you know, know what you're getting into. Read the employee manual. And if something's not clear, flag it with your manager or your employer. Uh, or if the policy doesn't exist, you know, offer to get involved in creating it. Uh, it's a good way to step outside your comfort zone and a good way to get with the governance people because especially if you work at a large company, watch very carefully who gets all the promotions. It's usually all the people in governance because they're the ones who are writing the rules. But really, read the manual, ask questions about the manual, understand the policy, and don't be afraid to speak up. Uh, as an employee, you might have a lot more input into these than you think you do. And as an employee, you probably have a better sense as to what's fair to you and your colleagues than somebody who may have just cribbed this thing out of something that was on the internet. So the lesson we're taking out of this is if you're doing work on your work laptop that's personal, stop it, buy your own laptop, buy your own iPad, take it with you to work. Don't let the company into it, but use whatever tools they give you if you're back at the office. And as we wrap up here, I always like to ask the more philosophical questions, but also try to involve our global audience. Is this just the relationship we're stuck with here in the US or are the folks in other countries both more protected or less protected? How does that work? A lot of countries, people are more protected. The U.S. is just legendary for the low protections its employees have. I mean, obviously, a lot of Europeans are just, their jaw drops when you explain to them the American concept of at-will employment. It's just, you know, how do you guys even get anything done, they say. If if you can lose your job tomorrow, how, how does, why doesn't everybody just run around to terror all the time? Outside of the major regulations, there's a lot more space, I think, in which companies can define their own way to go. In a lot of your other countries, there are way more regulations. The government has already prescribed how the company needs to run. And I'm not saying they're bad ideas. I'm just saying when you or I are kicking around ideas about transparency having a radical effect on how a company is structured, The U.S. might not be a bad place to try that out in because the regulation is so light versus, you know, many of your very developed Asian Pacific economies, obviously Europe. And All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another successful episode. Thank you again. Uh, You're welcome to tweet us, Sanduna Podcast, or email talk at sanduna.org. And your problems are all behind you now. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. The information provided in this podcast is not intended to constitute legal, financial, health, mixological, or spiritual advice. All content is for entertainment purposes only. Listeners should contact their attorney, financial advisor, doctor, bartender, or guru respectively to obtain advice regarding particular life matters. None of this is our fault. No animals were injured in the making of this podcast, although Frank hit Hans in the head with a typewriter. 
It is a story for another time. Copyright 2021.